Children's Church, you can be dismissed at this time. Good to see everybody out today. Hope you've had a a good week thus far. Go ahead and take your Bibles if you would. You can turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, we're continuing our study. As was mentioned earlier, we are glad to have all of our visitors here with us. Uh, Glad you've chosen to be with us on this Sunday morning. Trust that you'll take time to fill out one of those cards and turn those in, but we are grateful that you are here. Um, Glad to have my dad with us today. Uh, Dad, you can give a little wave back there if you would. Uh, Appreciate him being here. And... um, uh, good to see Zach. Zach rebounding from surgery already. Excellent. Zach had surgery this week. That's good. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I tell you, this has been a crazy week. Uh, I, I think I know Greenville Hospital better than I've ever known it before in the town of Greenville. Um, back and forth, uh, Zach had surgery. Uh, continue to pray for Paige Collette. She had surgery this week as well. Uh, Lynn Carver uh, is back home. Praise the Lord for that. And um, Al and, and Linda rescued my um, debit card from the restaurant I left in, in Greenville when I got home. I was like, yeah, no problem. I noticed the, the gas tank was full. And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, glad that, that she's home and doing well. Continue to pray for Mike Farley. Uh, that Most of you got the email this week. Mike's appendix burst. And it was, yeah, it was a bad situation. They got him cleaned up, but... Uh, uh, having a rough go there, so uh, continue to pray for him. He is in Goldsboro, and um, and also Larry's dad. Do you have an update on your dad? Uh, dad, we'll see a doctor tomorrow, and possibly going to Brown Terrace. Maybe tomorrow afternoon, more likely around 2, so we have, I did talk to Mike this morning, he's pretty rough, we also expect him to probably go home about 2. Okay, okay, Pray for all of these recoveries. Uh, it's, it's been a, a full week uh, for Community Baptist Church, and uh, we definitely want to continue uh, praying. Uh, Holly and, and baby Scott doing well, uh, got the update there, and so we're moving forward, Lord willing, praying soon. Right, Mark? Excellent. Excellent. So let's just continue to uh, lift these things in prayer. Look, this is what a church family's for, guys, and I appreciate my church family. Because when these things happen, I know that you guys are uh, rallying around in, in prayerful support. And uh, for these families that are facing these things, uh, it's greatly appreciated. And so uh, let's continue to, to pray for these things. Um, this morning, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Thank you, Miss Jean. Absolutely. The, uh, the card table in the back, take time to fill, sign those so we can express... Um, uh, our appreciation for these folks and let them know we're praying for them. So please stop by the the table. Um, Luke chapter 3, we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, for those of you who are visiting, this is the way we like to do things here at Community Baptist Church. Go through a book study. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to us in those seasons of life and His providential timing. And and so as we go through and and study uh, this book, uh, we're learning, hopefully, a lot of things in regards to uh, the gospel uh, and the life of Christ. And today is a special day in our study because uh, we are going to shift gears, if you will. We've been studying uh, thus far all the way up to chapter 3, and we'll be in verses 21 and 22 today. 
And basically all the other things preceding to this is, is laying the groundwork. Luke is pinning this down and he is laying some groundwork because now Jesus Christ comes on the scene as an adult and is getting ready to step into the ministry that he has been called to uh, and we'll see it three, uh, for about the next three years, three and a half years, the, the life of Christ unfold on these pages. And so uh, let's take a look at this uh, text this morning. And again, we're going to look at verses 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, I pray and ask that uh, you would somehow use me this morning. Uh, Lord, it's been a full week. And um, Lord, I pray that you uh, give me the words to speak this morning to uh, encourage the saints that are here. Lord, if there be anyone that is here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray for their repentance today. I pray for their faith and trust in Christ alone as their means of salvation. And so, Lord, I pray that you search every heart that's sitting on these pews today. And if there be one soul that's undone, one that does not know you, one who has not experienced the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray you draw them to yourself today and that you would give them the gift of salvation. For it's found in Christ and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, Again, we've been studying up to this point. We focused on John the Baptist and and uh, in recent series, and, and so uh, we know that here we find John is, is out there and in the Jordan, and he's, uh, folks have come out to, uh, by the groves to be baptized, and this was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And so you've got a, a lot of Jews, a lot of Gentiles, folks from all walks of life are gathered out here. And so uh, John has been... Uh, calling for this repentance. The Messiah is coming. He was sent to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord. And today, we find in verse 21 that when all the people were baptized, now not everyone was baptized, obviously. What he's saying here is those that were gathered, those that were baptized, all of those that were gathered there for the sake of following in baptism, because you can look in other Gospels, you'll find certain ones that were gathered there didn't get baptized. Who were those folks? Some of those Pharisees, some of those scribes. They went away, bothered, bitter, upset. But for those that were there, that heard this and heeded this call of repentance, they believed the message. They believed that John the Baptist was sent after 400 years of silence, no prophet has spoken, and now this man is on the scene who's come out of the wilderness and is expressing and calling out to folks to repent for the Messiah is coming. And so many people are believing the message. And in faith, they are responding to this message. And so therefore, they are looking to the Messiah's coming. And they want their hearts to be right. And so they follow 
in obedience. But it says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. Now, wait a minute. Why was Jesus baptized? Why would Jesus... Because isn't this the, a baptism of repentance? For the remission of sin? Why would Jesus need to do that? Jesus knew no sin, right? So, so why does Jesus uh, uh, follow in this baptism? We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at that, but interesting note. You would think, because if we, if for those of you who know and understand what's gone on thus far in the Scriptures and have a little working knowledge, uh, we've, we've already found this out. John was born to Elizabeth, right? Cousin of Mary. Yeah. So, no doubt, they knew of each other. Because remember, earlier on in Luke's text, when Mary and Elizabeth met, within the womb, Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leaped, right? By the way, he was full of the Holy Ghost from the womb, recognizing the Messiah. But there's no indication that they had ever encountered each other after that, until this point. Again, no doubt they knew And no doubt, Elizabeth had told John, but John's been in the wilderness. He's been away. And Jesus has been basically in obscurity, growing up as a carpenter, son of a carpenter, just just blending in, if you will. And so, it's interesting that Luke points out here in this text that Jesus... Just like all the people, and I think that's a key phrase. Jesus gathers here also, with all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. By the way, there is basically three days that unfold here during this time. Two or three days, probably three. Day one... Jesus was baptized by John. Day two was marked out as the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And how did he recognize him as that? Well, we'll see and discuss that in just a moment as well. And then probably on the third days when he came to where John was, uh, and you'll, we'll see this later again as the text unfolds, uh, these, these brief encounters. John was ministering for about six months prior to, about six months left, before John exits the scene. That's why I told you last week this is not a chronological order because the previous text says that, that uh, John ended up in, in prison. And of course, we know he was eventually beheaded and we discussed that last time. And so Luke jumps back into the scene here because we know John can't be in the prison and baptizing at the same time. It's not a chronological order. So, notice, turn with me for a second over to John The Gospel of John, verse 1. John 1, and look, if you would, in verse 33. We'll try and help explain this, capture this whole scene that's going on here. Um, 
Verse 32 says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, by the way, who sent John to baptize with water? God did, God the Father. He said, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Remember, John said earlier in Luke, he said, Hey, look, I I baptize with water, but there's one coming. Baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Giving reference to the coming of the church age when believers would be sealed with the Holy Spirit of God and also referencing the end time when God will judge the world again with fire. First time he judged with water, this time he'll judge with fire. John didn't know. He didn't recognize Jesus. It's not like in all this, this whole crowd on this given day that he identifies Jesus. No, but he knows this. He knows that what God has told him, that as he is baptizing, there's going to be one that as he is doing this, there will be the Spirit of God will descend and rest upon him. And so let's look at what happens here. Here here again, Jesus, just like everybody else, which identifies him with the humanity... Some great reference in this text today that gives us not only an understanding of the Trinity, but the deity of Christ. In Luke here, he says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed... Stop again. Luke has a theme. We're going to pick up on as we go through this study. Luke emphasizes the praying life of Jesus throughout his gospel. Let's don't miss that. This morning I was listening to the voice of truth and and, um, was reminded again the emphasis of prayer. And it was definitely uh, the part of Christ's life as an example to all of us and a reminder to me and to you If we want power in our life as believers, we need to be in prayer, much prayer. But it says that as he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. John now identifies him. John now knows this is the one. This is Messiah. This is the promised one. Can you imagine what that scene must have been like? What must have been, what must have been going on in that, that situation? Now look, I, I, I don't want us to, to, to lose sight of some things here because there are some things that we want to, we want to clear up and hit on. And we're going to try to this morning. Notice that God told him that when this happened, this is the one, this is the one that you would know is the Messiah.
You know, there's an interesting teaching that goes on today in, in the church, in a lot of churches today, that is a heretical teaching. And this text is a great text that clears up this heretical teaching. It's a, it's a heretical teaching that's plagued the church for centuries, and it seems to resurface uh, throughout history. One of those uh, recent resurgence is due to a movement known as the United, the United Pentecostal Church. It's the heretical teaching of modalism. And the heretical teaching of modalism basically says this, and some of you have probably used this illustration before, and if you have, I'm sorry to disappoint you today, we can't use this illustration because it teaches modalism. It basically means this. Like, for example, somebody's trying to describe the Trinity and they say, well, kind of like I'm a... Jeremy Varner is a father... I'm also a son to Jesse, and I'm also a husband to Allison. And they'll try and use something like that to explain how they're doing their three different roles and that somehow that's like three in one. No, 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 no. That's modalism. Okay? It's the same person doing different forms, if you will. I'm a, in one form, I'm a husband. In one form, I'm a son. one form, I'm a father. No, that's not the way the Trinity is biblically defined. And here's a great example of that text unfolding. Notice, when you look at this text, it says that Jesus, the person of Jesus, now we have the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Now we know this, that, that uh, the third person of the Trinity is indeed spirit. God the Father is also spirit. But we also see here that a voice came from heaven and says, you are my beloved son. So there's reference to the Father speaking. You have all three simultaneously. Three in one. And I know illustrations break down. We always use the triangle. Triangle is probably one of the better ones because if you don't have a top part of the triangle, you don't have a triangle. If you don't have the right corner, you don't have a triangle. If you don't have the left part of the triangle, you don't have a triangle. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you can't have one without the other. They're three in one. But distinct in person. And we see that here uh, in this text. John MacArthur says uh, this in regards to modalism. This is the ancient heresy. It's been dealt with through the years time and time again, but has reached a point of popularity today because it's part of what is known as the United Pentecostal Church, which is a oneness church which denies the eternal trinity. Now, if you do not have an eternal trinity, you have the wrong God. If you have the wrong God, you have the wrong Jesus and the wrong gospel. This is a sweeping heresy because it is a foundation, it is a fountainhead heresy that literally pollutes all the rest of theology. You cannot have modalism in this event because you have the Son being baptized, the Spirit descending, and the Father speaking simultaneously. This is one of the many passages that hits the oneness view with a death blow. So again, we ask the question, why did Jesus submit to baptism when he had no sin to be cleansed from? If he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, why is he participating in a baptism unto repentance?
Well, notice. Um, actually, let's look over to Matthew. We're going to do some comparative study here. Matthew, let's look at Matthew chapter 3. Here we find the account in Matthew. It says, then Jesus, verse 13 of chapter 3, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Now, we'll, again, it's important to understand that... Um, that part of why Jesus is doing this is to fulfill the righteousness that's required. Jesus was relating to humanity and and, and relating to man, identifying with man. Those that were seeking to do right, that which was right before God, this is something they were doing. Jesus would identify with that, and so he wanted to uh, do just that. To fulfill all righteousness, to do what God required to be done, to do what was right, to be done so that perfectly righteous life would satisfy God and then be credited to uh, your account and to my account. That is to that is to fulfill the righteousness of God. Jesus was doing what the Father sent him to do. Interesting thought here. We all understand that Jesus died on the cross to bear our sins. Very very few people understand that God then exchanged for our sins the perfect life of Christ and credited to our account His righteousness. And God treats us as if we lived His perfect life. That is the wondrous reality of grace and imputed righteousness, John MacArthur. You see, Jesus knew that even though He knew no sin, He was coming to fulfill completely in every shape and form that which the Father required. And so the just live by faith, And here were these folks that were being called by John the Baptist to repentance and to show that they truly believed this message of hope of the coming Messiah. They took part in this baptism. Jesus needed to fulfill the righteous call um, upon His life as the second person of the Trinity. Well, let's, let's let's look back over in Luke 3. Why a dove? By the way, let me say this. Uh, The text does not say that it was a dove. Sorry, don't have to go home and get rid of all your dove symbols. No, because the, the, the dove is a symbol, very important symbol. 
And, and that's what's significant to understanding this text. Notice, the, notice again exactly what the Word of God says. It says in verse, 20, uh, verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. Like a dove. Upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. The Holy Spirit did come down in a bodily shape, like a dove on him. And this is an outward showing. Again, this was to identify him to those gathered that he is the Messiah. This was a public inauguration, if you will, to anoint him. This is in fulfillment of prophecy. Turn with me over to Isaiah. Isaiah 42. Notice Isaiah 42 says this, Behold my servant who I uphold, who I uphold my election one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. This is a fulfillment of that. Also, look over in Isaiah. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah 61. Again, showing and illustrating the fulfilling, uh, the fulfillment of these prophecies are found in Jesus Christ. Notice 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. This is a fulfillment. How do I know that? Well, turn back over to Luke. We're going to get into this in the days ahead, but I want to go ahead and give you a, 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 an explanation as to how come we know Jesus is fulfilling these Isaiah prophecies. Well, notice what happens over in Luke 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of Him went out through all the surrounding region. And He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and, at his, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? You see, Jesus was the fulfillment. John the Baptist knew at this point, the day of the baptism, he knew at this point, this is the Messiah. Jesus fulfills that. The Spirit descending upon him was confirmation to make it clear, to make it certain. This is the one. This is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Notice how the text closes out in back over in Luke 3. The Holy Spirit's descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. You know, don't think that somehow this is the only point in time that the Holy Spirit was with Christ? No. Luke's already told us in the beginning portion of the Scriptures that, um, and you find it in other Gospels, that you know, this is God with us. We, he, he sees, you see the Spirit taking part in the uh, conception. And we also find throughout uh, Luke's Gospel, you'll see an emphasis upon the Spirit. But here... Uh, again, this was a, a, an outward, um, visible showing so that there would be no missing the point that this is the, the inauguration. This is the identifying Him as the one. Jesus began His earthly ministry with the blessing of the, fa- the Father and the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And God the Father makes these closing comments. You are my beloved Son. In you... I am well pleased. You know, I, I think as we look at this and we re- reflect upon um, the concept of the Trinity, when we think about Jesus' mission, by the way, that 61 passage that we just read, where it talked about why Jesus came, you want a purpose, Christian? There's a purpose for you? Because as Christ followers, we are to be about the same thing. In fact, just recently, one of my uh, counseling classes online, one of my projects was I had to uh, fulfill a, a, a requirement that stated, you basically imagine you're at a large urban church in, in downtown Atlanta, and you're trying to present to the church why they need a counseling center. And so uh, as I, I re- reflected on how would I present this, how would I how would I you know, encourage a body of believers, lay people to take part in counseling and for you to see your need as to be a counselor. And this was the text. Because I believe as Christians, yes, this was a description and prophecy that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, but church, don't miss the point that we as Christians, we are Christ followers, we too are called to the same ministry that Jesus fulfilled. 
I, the, the following were the points that I came up there, and I'll share these with you. Counseling brings help. The church should be a place of help. Jesus came to help. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Isaiah 66, 1. The church's greatest calling is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Christ is ultimately the only cure to the deepest issues of the heart. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And when we are providing counseling or we're helping hurting people, then we are helping them to see the greatest need. The need of a Savior. You know, if you just help somebody with some good advice, but they don't know the Lord, have we really helped them? I mean, I'm reminded of the passage of Scripture that says, what does it gain a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There's a principle in that, in, in, I think, in, in life in general, be it riches or be it just simple help. Have I really helped them? Jesus came to help. Believers have a message of, of help. As a believer, we should understand that God has helped us by saving, by a saving grace. As well as times of personal struggle, we as the church should therefore be ready to help others as we ourselves have been helped. 2 Corinthians 1.4 Who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Second point was counseling brings healing. The church should be a place of healing. Jesus came to heal. Jesus was sent to heal those who were hurting and set free those in bondage. Again, in that Isaiah passage, we find this. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Isaiah 66, 2. The mission of Jesus was to bring true healing, and the church should do the same. Jesus came to heal. Believers have a message of healing. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that's part of your responsibility, church? 2 Corinthians 5.18, As the church, we carry the cure to a lost and dying world. My third point was counseling brings hope. The church should be a place of hope. Jesus came to bring hope to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord. Isaiah 61, 2 through 3. Jesus was sent to bring hope to those who were hopeless. Believers have a message of hope. Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, again, this baptism that Luke speaks of is, is a foreshadowing also of uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's also going to lay the groundwork for the eventual baptism that we partake in as believers in the church age. For those of us who have become to saving faith in Christ and sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit of God, we've been baptized into the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
we show an outward example of our faith and trust that Jesus was the Messiah. They look to the Messiah, we look back at the Messiah, we recognize Christ fulfilled this, it is finished, and I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I show by example and obedience that I'm identified with Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Again, you can look at the other, uh, the other accounts in the other Gospels, and, and again, it gives a clear indication of immersion coming up out of the water. Jesus was the one who brought a message of hope, and we as believers also bring a message of hope. This message of hope also helps to purify us. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 3.3 3. It's this very message of help, healing, and hope that Jesus brought and that his church carries still today. That reminds us all that we are all called counselors to a degree. And we are. We're to be helping others know the truth of who the Messiah is because He's the only one that can bring the help that we need, the healing that we need. In Jesus, we can hear the Father say to us, This is my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Just as Jesus was to do the will of the Father, we too should do the will of the Father. We've been called to a life of taking up our cross and following Him. A life of obedience. In Jesus, the Holy Spirit can come upon us for empowering and blessing. Yes, we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You've got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. My question is, does He have all of you? Some of you remember, I've used this illustration many times, where I would take a lamp and I would cover it with blankets and you couldn't see the lamp. But as you begin to remove these blankets, eventually you'd be able to see a glow through the blankets and eventually you pull them off and the light is shining bright. And that's like sin in our life, Christian. Sometimes we cover that light by our sins and by the things that we don't want others to know about and that begins to hide that light. We begin to walk in the flesh instead of walk in the Spirit. And we hide that light that's within. Therefore, lay aside those sins that so easily beset you. So you can run the race. Run it well. Unlike unlike Jesus, we are sinners. Hence the reason we need to repent and place our faith in Him. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning, though I've struggled in articulating this message 
Perhaps there were points that maybe weren't real clear or confusing. Lord, I pray that you just uh, bring clarification uh, to my heart, to, to my mind, to their heart, to their mind. But Lord, I don't want to lose the most important thing today, and it was very clear, and it is very clear, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Him. Christ alone is the perfection that we need. We are like all those that were gathered that day, apart from Christ. Even John the Baptist recognized that he needed to be baptized by Christ. He, he, he felt unworthy because even though the Scriptures say that John was the most righteous man who ever lived apart from Christ, he still knew he was a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, help us to know that need today. We too are sinners in need of a Savior. Lord, if there's anyone here that's never truly repented and put their faith and trust in Christ alone to redeem them. Lord, may they do that today. May they turn in saving faith and put their hope in you. May they call out to the only name given under heaven by which to be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as believers to recognize the hope May it purify us. One day we will be in your presence. Prepare our hearts. Help us to live in a way that our light, that your light would shine through us. And Lord, I pray also too that just as we've reflected on the Isaiah passage of who Christ is and why he came and what his mission was and purpose while he was here upon this earth, that we would identify as a church, as the body of Christ, that we too continue that mission today to help, to heal, and to provide hope. Lord, let us do business with you. Cleanse our hearts anew. May we surrender control to the Holy Spirit of God. May you work through our lives. That it might be pleasing in your sight. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for those that are here, for any visitor that's here. Lord, I trust that you will take your word, as you've promised, will not return void. That might encourage and build us up today in the faith that we might go and evangelize the lost to tell others the good news. Christ is willing to save those who will call upon his name. Help us to share that love. Help us to share that message with those around us. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Don't forget services this evening as normal. Members, if you would please just stay seated. Um, Our visitors, uh, again, I thank you for being here. Uh, Non-members, thank you for being here this morning as well and hope to see you back with us, uh, Lord willing, tonight for Awanas and Teen Club.
And don't forget Wednesday night Bible study. Love to see you there as well. Brother Dean Hightower, if you would, dismiss us in a word of prayer.